67. But before I do, my daughter is insistent that I mention her in the sermon today. She keeps asking me if I'm going to do that. So um, one of the things she told me a few a while back, and I tried, she didn't know why I was asking this question, is that she was in, um, I think it was a history, world history class, and they were talking about these ancient Romans, and there's, there's a family called um, C-I-N-N-A, which is Cinna. If you're familiar with the Hunger Games, there's a character called Cinna in that because a lot of the characters are actually kind of based on that Roman kind of stuff. But the Cinna family was a prominent Roman family, and one of them was a great poet, and the other one was a conspirator against one of the Caesars. And so when they were talking about world history and they said, well, there's Cinna the poet and Cinna the conspirator, conspirator, um, one of the kids said, how are we supposed to keep track of all these Cinnas? And Sophia said, guys, aren't we all Cinnas? <laughs> Which was very clever. And really, this, this, this passage really does answer, ask that question. Um, because yesterday, I was driving Sophia down to... Um, to encourage a friend uh, who was participating in this event, and um, somebody drove past me and did something really dumb, and um, I just, by habit, by force of habit, said something that I shouldn't have said. In fact, she reminded me, I said, I don't think I used a cuss word, and she said, yeah, you did, because I like, I kind of like did half a cuss word, and then I did, kids, this isn't right, close your ears, like, earmuffs right now. But um, so the point is, is that here I am in terms of the flesh within me is so it comes so natural when something like that irritates that, you know, these things arise like almost spontaneously from me. And the fact of the matter is, and then Sophia said, dad, don't let, you know, Satan get the victory or something like that. I don't remember exactly what she said, but but she said, see, um, you should mention that in your sermon tomorrow about how I was encouraging you to fight temptation. I was like looking at her saying, hmm, I wonder if I could probably use that against you sometimes. But anyway, the, um, the point is here, the real question that we're going to be asking ourselves and asking the text is, are we really all sinners? Are we all sinners? And so let's open uh, the text and stand for the reading of God's word. After this, meaning Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. At, at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, this, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But you eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you, make, can, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the, tear the new 
and the peace from the new will not match the old. Into one, I'm sorry, and no one puts new wine into old, into new, I'm sorry, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one, after drinking old wine, desert, desires new, for he says, the old is good. Please be seated. Sorry, if you guys don't know, I don't see very well, so that's not that I never learned how to read, but I can't see the words very well. Um, one of the things, you know, the first, the first portion of this is you're wondering, why did I call this um, first bullet point the biggest loser? Um, what I need to do is I need to make sure you understand the world of the rabbis and what they taught. Because if you don't, doesn't a lot of these things, you think they make sense, and you think that the Pharisees are just black-hatted bad guys all the time, which they really kind of are, but you need to understand that they're not really kind of coming up with something that's not in the air in terms of the teaching of the rabbis. Everybody, there's a book called, um, if you can remember this, it's called Justification and Variegated Covenantal Nomism. Now, it's actually a really good book, and it's a mouthful, but the, the way that it's, what it's dealing with is, a, is this idea that, um, that came out of a, a, re, a, a recent scholar that tried to argue that we've misunderstood the Jews of Second Temple Ju- Judaism, which is the time of Jesus' day. We've misunderstood their theology, and really, we've misunderstood Paul on justification, and his argument is like, well, it's a lot more varied than it is, and, and there's all these different views of grace and blah, blah, blah. All he does is succeed in showing that um, there's a form of semi-plagian. I'm, I don't want to use all these big terms for you. But the point is, is that what, there, there have been multiple responses, and what this book tries to show is through a, a number of essays is that, that really um, he's wrong. Uh, and in part, the... Uh, the, the views of the Jews were very diverse, but there's one particular article in there that notes that what the Pharisees that you see in the scriptures, lo and behold, what's presented in terms of how they're seeing things is actually kind of what the majority report was. It's, it's sort of like um, there, there's kind of a common view of what people believe, and then there's people that take it really seriously. You guys understand how that can work, right? Where everybody kind of agrees with it, but they're really not that committed to be able to go all the way, where the Pharisees kind of not only everybody kind of agrees with the rabbis, but the, but the Pharisees go the next step and actually live it all out. Are you guys following what I'm trying to say? But the, but the theology of the Pharisees is actually kind of what everybody believes. So when they come in to the thing to, to, to talk to Jesus, it's not like the people are saying, well, we believe this and you believe something else. They all kind of believe the same thing. It's just that the Pharisees are actually kind of living it out. And so... Um, what that means is that we need to understand what that is. What is the teaching of the rabbis? And what we, what we come to find out is that there's really no forgiveness of sin in that system. Now, you might think that's weird. There's a place for people to be repentant. In fact, they would say that it's, it's, a, it's a great deed if people would repent, but there's not really an offering that says, if you repent, you're going to receive forgiveness of sins. 
what you have to do is you have to begin the process of kind of undoing the things that you've done or to participate in fastings and prayers to kind of build yourself up to the point you're actually righteous. And so what the Pharisees were trying to get everybody to do is to either all be righteous or all be repentant all at once to issue in the kingdom because what in order to be righteous, you actually have to kind of undo the bad that you've done. And you have to kind of like... Um, you got to work things out. In, in many ways, if you're familiar at all with the way Roman Catholicism is, it's kind of the same idea where you have all these things that kind of get, get, you know, move you down a certain point, and then you have to kind of build back up by the deeds that you do to kind of make those things up. So why do I use the term the biggest loser? And you guys might have heard, heard me use this analogy before. Um, it's probably becoming a little bit of a dated analogy, but there's this show that used to be, and I don't know if they're still on there, if you've seen it in syndication, but these, these people who um, are out of shape, and they get into this competition to see who can lose the most weight through the, through the, through the course of the show. So the biggest loser actually is actually the winner. So it's kind of a play on words. See how they, what they did there? Like if you lose the most weight you're the biggest loser. You see what I'm saying? Even though to say you're a loser and is a good thing, but if you lose the most weight, then you're a winner. So it's kind of a twist. And that's the way they, they title shows. So, but who are the Pharisees in this? The Pharisees are the fitness trainers, right? Everybody believes that you should probably get in shape and probably eat right. But man, does anybody like disagree with that? Is there anybody that says, no, nah, I don't believe any of that stuff. I just, I, I, I want to get my cholesterol as high as possible. And I just want to, I, I just want to die like, you know, from just, you know, like being smothered in my own whatever, you know, like does anybody it, raise your hand here if you don't believe that you should eat right and exercise regularly. Just, you know, don't be shy. If you do, then that's fine. But we all do. But then who actually is that serious? Who's that serious to kind of have a six-pack? What is it like Sophia or Anna was reading all these weird Instagram things about the fact that these guys are talking about the fact that you can have six-pack abs, but it's covered up by, you know, all your belly fat and that sort of thing. And that's what most of us might have. We might have a six-pack under there if we were actually disciplined enough, like at, at you know, like 10 p.m. not to say, you know what, I'm going to, like last night, I, I'd done pretty well. And then then there were these little tiny M&Ms on there, and I took a handful, and I was like, these are really tiny. And the next thing you know, I'm like filling, my, I probably ate like five, four, three or four handfuls of tiny M&Ms because they were really small, and it's right before dinner. But that's me. Like, a, a fitness trainer would never do that. They'd be totally serious about it, and they'd be like eating the right things. They'd never eat the M&Ms that were left. They'd probably not even have M&Ms in their, fa- in their house. That's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were really serious about doing where the other people were like, I don't know, that's really hard. I don't know if I can spend my entire life being that scrupulous, that serious about the law all the time. I believe it, but it's just so hard to do. And so we kind of think of the um, Pharisees that when they arrive on the street scene, they're, they're, um, that everybody else is kind of thinking that, that what every, all the crowd is doing is they're going, dun, 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 like evil time to come in. That's the sound that the evil people are coming in in a show, right? But really, it's more like, it's more like if when the Pharisees are coming in, they got their tassels. It's more like in, that, in the movies when they go to the music with the really loud beat and they're moving in slow motion down the thing, you know, and you're like, 
Whoa, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. Whoa. That's how everybody would have thought, like, oh, my, the Pharisees are here. What? What's up? You know? And so they're like, and, and then they're like, okay, it's the Pharisees. Yeah, we're, we're sinners. You know, we can't. Here's the thing about sin in that thing is that you could commit so many sins. You could, like, have so much against you that, that, the way that the uh, system worked is that if God accepted your repentance, there was n- the, the only thing you could hope for is to die at that moment, to know that you were accepted, that God had shown you mercy. Why? Because in order for you to become righteous, you couldn't possibly do enough to undo in your life what you had done evil. You guys following me? You've done so much bad that if God has accepted you as a repentant person, then all you could hope for in this rabbinic system is to die instantly to know that God has accepted you because you have done so much bad that there's no way for you to do enough good to make up for all the bad you've done while you still live. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the system that Jesus is preaching into. Now, is it biblical? The answer is shake your head like this. Is, did they think that that was what the Old Testament taught? Yes, they were reading the law, right? But was it what the actual Old Testament teaches? No, it is not. I want you guys to understand that it is possible for people to read the scriptures in the Old Testament as well as the New and come to conclusions that are not actually what the scriptures are teaching. And Jesus is stepping into this context of a distortion of the nature of righteousness and he's dealing with people who think they're righteous because they have, they have been doing the things demanded by the law according to the rules that they've set for themselves, according to what they think. And they believe they are actually righteous because they are doing these things. They are the fitness trainers. They are keeping the dietary regulations. They're really disciplined about everything they do. They're very scrupulous about everything. So they are the righteous. And the crowds agree with them. They are righteous. And the other people are sinners, to include the people that don't understand the law, just the the normal people, because to not understand what was the nature of the glory of God was to be a blasphemer of God and so you're unrighteous if you're just ignorant of the law. And so they agree we are not righteous. And in fact, if you're a tax collector or some other kind of sinner, you can actually be at a point where you think, man, there's actually no hope for me. And this, you know, like, and according to what I've learned from the time I was a kid, I've committed so many sins, there's nothing more I can do. And so here comes Jesus to a tax collector named Levi, who's Matthew in the Gospels, And he calls to him, and he says, follow me. And he receives him as a sinner. And he upends this entire thing. And it's just remarkable. It's a stunning thing for a rabbi to do something like that. And he receives him. And earlier we found out, did we not, that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, right? So it continues, we'll we'll pick up in verse 29 about the reaction of the Pharisees in this context. Remember the context, okay? Don't think of this as you would think, like, oh, I grew up in Bible. I always assumed it's Pharisees and everybody believed that. Think about the way that everybody already thinks about this, and what is Jesus saying to the, quote, righteous? And Levi made him a great feast in the house, 
and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at this disciple, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have... I. I I think you need to understand that there is, Jesus is a friend of sinners only. It's really important you remember that. And I was reflecting upon this, that if you, if you take the scripture seriously, that God doesn't just kind of ignore sin and just say, if we just say we're sorry, God says, you know what, I wasn't really serious about that. I just wanted to hear you say I was, you were sorry. And that, that's okay. There's, there's a problem in the scriptures because you have the understanding that, that we're going to fail, right? That we are sinners, and then, and then you need to do something, but, but also that God redeems the righteous. So how are you going to do this? What's the solution? Well, see, the Pharisees and the rabbis had come up with a solution. Well, we have to have a way to become righteous by our own strength, right? It's not something God provides, is it? Is it something that God provides, like brings us from death to life? I think I read that somewhere. But if you don't, if you kind of ignore that part and you think that, well, he gave us the law to live by, and so we need to figure out a way to be righteous. And so what you do is you try and come up with some sort of system whereby you can become righteous. But then you... you you, you think yourself is righteous, and here comes Jesus upending this and eating with sinners, but because you've lost the plot, you don't actually believe that you're a sinner, and you're saying, why does Jesus eat with sinners? And the question you would ask if you were understanding that is like, who else in the world is Jesus going to eat with? If he's going to eat with anybody that's among mankind, is there any person who's not a sinner? You can say, no, there's none. And so the only people that Jesus could hang out with while he was on this earth is a sinner. In fact, who, who was the only sinner that wasn't on the earth when Jesus was there? It was Jesus himself. He was the only one ever born who did not have the stain of sin from Adam. He was actually the only one righteous walking on the face of the earth. And the Pharisees are grumbling, why does he eat with sinners? And the answer should have been, well, who else is he going to eat with? If, if God is going to come in human flesh and save sinners, how else is he, who else is he going to be around? But see, Jesus, Jesus is, kind of, uh, is actually a form of condemnation. If you think you're righteous, I didn't come for you. Hey, if you don't, you know, a physician comes for the people who are sick. If you're fine, then, you know, I'm not, there, there's no... There, there's no healing for the person who des- decides that they're not sick, right? That's why he calls them whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're whitewashed tombs. But as long as you're, you're convinced you're great on the outside, I don't really have, you're, 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 you're not going to come to me in repentance. And Jesus embraces these people who are sinners. You know, Matthew, who else is he going to hang out with 
other than other tax collectors and sinners. Now, we think, oh, tax collectors. You mean like IRS guys, like, you know, agents who are just kind of doing their day job, driving up to D.C., Levi's, like, commuting. He Maybe he's gets in a slug line every day instead of, well, of course, that's getting, we, we, we don't need to do that anymore ever since the pandemic. But before that, he got in a slug line, right? And then he got up to D.C. That's not that kind of tax collector. You, you Tax collectors were... Not despise, were despised not for a small reason like that people just don't like to pay taxes, okay? There was a lot more to that than that. Nobody ever likes to pay taxes, but even the Jewish system had a place for, for you know, to receive income. You, number one, you're collaborating with a, an, unjust, um, an unjust nation called the Romans. But the other thing is, is that it is kind of like the ultimate form of social injustice, as it were. They exploited people. He was a toll collector. You, you basically, every time you turned around, you're like trying to just do your business and like these guys come and they've got these, these um, they've got their, their thugs with them. They're dumping out all your stuff and then they're taxing you. And then you go to the next guy. He's doing the same thing. Every time you get to a, a port or something like that. And Levi's at a port here. He's at Capernaum. And so he's a despised individual because he's exploiting people. He's exploiting the poor. And here's Jesus accepting him and saving him from his sins. Not because he's overlooking it all, but because Jesus really does offer forgiveness of sins to include those who, are, who have done despicable, unrighteous things to exploit others. And that doesn't mean that, 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 doesn't mean that if they've exploited that they're not going to have to give back you know, money to those exploited. But it does mean that the stain of sin, that the guilt of sin before an almighty God is paid for and that it's prefiguring what Christ will do on the cross for Levi and others that he's able to do that. That he's able to be with sinners and then bring others into that. All sorts of sinners, notorious sinners. And not so that they can turn around and say, well, I'm glad that you do that, Jesus, so I can go back out and sin all the more, but because he actually changes them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing to think that God could think of you, think like, let's just do a hypothetical. Let's say that there was somebody out there that, 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 lived, that lived with a sense that they've been sinning an awful lot and that there's nothing possible, there's no possible way that God would ever forgive them for the ways in which they sin against others or sin against him in terms of their thoughts and their deeds and the things that they've told God over and over that they wouldn't do. But imagine if God actually forgave them for that. And they were convinced of that. What if that was actually true? Do you think that that person would be happy to know that this is the kind of Christ that receives sinners? To know that he actually forgives sin? To know that he knows that you are unrighteous? And that, and that the only people that can come and be united to him are the unrighteous? And so the only thing that qualifies you for being a disciple of Christ is to recognize that you are unrighteous and a sinner and you need Christ. Not so that you become righteous by yourself, but that you are united as a sinner to him. Not by anything that you bring in your hand, but simply by clinging in faith to the fact that he's righteous and you're not. 
And that changes everything. And that's what Levi understood. And that's what all these other tax collectors understood. That there was nothing that they could ever do to make up for the fact that they're sinners. No matter what they ever did, they would never do anything well enough. Even one deed would never be perfect enough to be considered, okay, that's a merit in this column. Everything they do is a demerit. And the only way that they could ever be accepted in God's sight is to be near Christ, who is God in flesh. Now, they didn't understand that yet, but that's the reason. Christ can offer welcome to sinners. It's not because he just is going to leave them by themselves, but he's going to gather them to that, do himself. And so... The plot continues, as it were. Verse 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also said, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it into an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wineskins I'm sorry, new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into, into, uh, into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. Okay, so let's deal with kind of this analogy that Christ uses we don't really patch clothes that much. Um, these days, we just kind of, well, some people do. A lot of people do. We just, a lot of us in this congregation have the money to just go buy new clothes if they have holes in them. But people actually used to mend garments because they just didn't, couldn't go to, you know, Old Navy or wherever, or even to thrift stores where people just had clothes. I'm not going to wear this again. You know, oh, I forgot I even had that. But, um, so you would patch them, and the point here is that if you put, like, new fabric on this thing, it'll just kind of tear because it's going to stretch, you know, uh, whereas old fabric is already stretched, and it's just going to ruin that. Um, and the other, the other thing is that people used to put wine in skins. Now, I want to make sure you understand that some people, you know, it says wine in, in, the, um, in the translation we have, but in the Greek, it actually means wine. Okay, it, in case you've ever heard otherwise, they didn't have Welch's grape juice until like the 1800s. And it's not like saying nobody puts new grape juice into old grape juice skins because the old grape juice is better than new grape juice. No, it's, it's wine. And what happens during the fermentation process is that it expands. It gets, it gets big. And if you put that into an old wine skin, it's already stretched too much. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to burst and then you're going to lose all your grape juice. And so the, the point here is that everything that we've talked about here, remember, tradi- I just want to make sure you guys understand, not all tradition is bad, okay? This is not a parable 
or a, a teaching talking about like, man, you just need to kind of, you kind of need to be totally flexible all the time. You need to leave your mind open because Jesus is going to come to you with some new thing and you're going to be so fixated on the way you think everything should be that you're just going to be, you're not going to be ready for it, you know? No, there's, there's actually an idea of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And we actually can, uh, we actually can trust things that are thousands of years old. But just because something is old doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. It's, see, what the Pharisees have is a tradition to say, well, we're just going by the traditions of our fathers and doing these things, but it's been wrong, right? It's not the oldest tradition. It's just something that they've picked up. And, and you know, if you've had something as long as, even if it's something in your own lifetime, it may feel like it's always been that way. Um, in fact, a lot of the kinds of, praise and worship things that are in a lot of churches today in terms of the most popular forms have only been around for like 50 or 60 years. You, and, and you would think that it's, you would think that the idea of a, a worship leader, so to speak, as, a, um, as almost a minister is something that's always been around, but it's, it's like half a century old. Um, and I can talk to you more about that. But the point is, and, and I'm not trying to get into that thing, I'm just saying that that people's living memories sometimes determine what a tradition is. What I'm trying to say here is that what Jesus is doing is in two ways. He's trying to burst the expectations of people who are fixated because here's Jesus eating and welcoming sinners, but because people don't think that they're sinners, they can't rejoice. It's the parable of the parable of the prodigal son, too. What does the older brother do? It's the parable told because the Pharisees are whining about Jesus eating with sinners. And so he tells a story about this kid that goes off fast, uh, lost country. The father is overjoyed to have him back, and the older brother's just mad, like, I've done all this stuff, and you're rejoicing with your brother. And he doesn't care that his brother's back. He's just out in the outer darkness, gnashing his teeth at the Father in the darkness, unwilling to come into the light, and and Jesus is kind of looking at the Pharisees saying, recognize yourself in this parable much? Recognize yourself as the older brother much that you can't rejoice when you see sinners? And so here's this feast going on, because Jesus is welcoming sinners, and and it's sort of like if you if you have a wedding. I don't think we have any weddings coming up. No, I don't believe so. But imagine if we were, if we were at a wedding and somebody was about like saying, and somebody was like in sackcloth and ashes, right? And they're, everybody else is festive. They're all like dancing and stuff like that. And you're just really somber, like I'm fasting right now. And and the bridegroom and the and the bride are like, really? I mean, like this is my wedding. I mean, can you be a little bit more like narcissistic? Ooh, look at me. I'm fasting. You know, it's me, me world, me universe. I'm fasting. And that's kind of like, almost like cosmically, the Pharisees are like, what's up? What's wrong with the son of God? Now they don't know he's the son of God, but it's like saying to disciples, what's wrong with him that, that, you know, like John's disciples fasted, you know, and we fast. Huh. You know, we fast. How come you guys don't fast? And Jesus is like, look, the bridegroom's here. We're rejoicing. This is a, this is a feast. There's sinners being welcomed into the kingdom of God. This is a time for feasting. And your world does not have, your universe does not, it's not even a universe. Your room of what's, what this box, this fence that you've created around the law, I don't, I don't care about it. 
It's sort of like Jesus didn't come. It's sort of like if somebody put a fence around and said, hey, this is what God says you're, you're supposed to do. And, and God just shows up and says, Psh, I don't care about this fence. Sort of like if your kids ever gave you a rule, hey, you know, make sure you, you, you don't get to come in my room or something like that. You know, or if they lock it, you just unlock the door and come in because it's your house. Kids don't make the rules, right? So Jesus is just knocking over fences and saying, hey, you're not going to contain me by this. In fact, in Hebrews, it's very clear that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's not even contained by the types and shadows. Everything that's in the old covenant is just a a forerunner of what Jesus as the great high priest, as the great king, as the great prophet, everything is just so much smaller and shadowy in the old covenant. It's great. It's really cool. But then when it comes to Jesus, it's like in the old, uh, it's like Hebrews is like saying this, like Moses was great, but Jesus is awesome. Woo! And then David was great, but Jesus is better. And then, you know, like Levi was really cool, but he died. And Jesus is the perfect high priest. And, 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 and there's people like saying, yeah, but I want to go back to Levi, the Levitical system where the high priest dies. And, and you're like saying, are you crazy? What, what's wrong with you kind of thing? And that's what, that's what the Pharisees are like. Here's, here's the fulfillment of everything of their expectations. And, and sometimes I've got to think that like, you know, if he could text, Jesus would be doing, you know, the Pharisees, SMH. Right? See, kids, I'm being like, I'm relating to the kids. <laughs> if, if Parents, if you don't know what that means, ask your kids afterwards. But he's just like, seriously, this is ridiculous. Can't believe these Pharisees. And, and but that's what Jesus came for. Now, the question for you, the question for you is not like, do you agree that the Pharisees are a bunch of knuckleheads? And you're like, man, I, I really love this sermon today because what I learned was how bad the Pharisees were. And I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisees at all. I am so glad that I have my own form of righteousness. I have a way to kind of convince myself that I'm good. That, there's, not, that there's, not, there's nothing vile in me. In fact, I know who all the vile people are. I can, put, I can put, you know, for sure the Pharisees in that box over there. I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee. Glad I'm not Vladimir Putin or Hitler or Stalin or anything else. I know who I can hate and say they're the worst people ever because I know I'm not them. I was actually thinking about that today. Now, I'm not saying that we should think, you know, nice thoughts about, you know, really bad people doing really bad things. But have you noticed how the culture has gone, like, suddenly, like, Maleficent's a good guy. What's up with that? You know, like, we've become so morally ambiguous and everything, but suddenly, like, man, we all agree Vladimir Putin's a bad guy, and there really is good versus evil kind of thing. And we know we're on the good side, but that's kind of how most of us live. We know we're the good guys, and we know that we're pretty much righteous, right? We're doing the things we should be doing. I got to tell you, if you do not have a place in your heart to think that you are a sinner and in need of Jesus, it doesn't even have to be like all, like, you understand you're like this awesome fitness trainer, that you're perfect. You just don't think you're all that bad. If you don't, if you don't understand that you're a sinner, then there's really nothing, Christ is not for you. 
I'm not, I know that's weird from somebody who's preaching to say that, but I can't change your heart. All I can do is present Christ as he is offered, and he's only offered to sinners. Christ is only offered to those who understand that they are unrighteous in themselves. And that also means as a reminder to those of us who are Christians to be reminded afresh that we still need the gospel, that we still need Jesus to save us from our sins, that we still need Jesus to help us battle sin and temptation, to battle it when we're on the road driving down to Richmond and our daughter reminds you, oh, you know what? The enemy is causing you to do that. And not to fly off the handle. So no, that I am righteous and wanting to run this guy off the road. If I had laser beams coming out of my eyes, I would be wholly just in destroying that car off the face of the planet right now. And not, not care a bit that he might, might not even be saved or something like that. I am totally just in my holy hatred of everybody who does not agree with me politically. And I wish, that, I wish they'd all go to hell. No, we, we are those who have been redeemed and saved by Christ because we're sinners. And there's nobody as unrighteous or less righteous than you in and of yourself. Holy defiled. And that Christ, if he was to be just, would turn you aside and say, you are unrighteous. But that is not the heart of Christ. He saves sinners and even now is praying for sinners. He cares for those who would come to him. And we need to have that same heart of Christ. We need to have that same heart that we ourselves are sinners in need of a savior and turn to him in repentance and faith and have that same heart, that same that same weeping heart, desiring that people would come to a saving knowledge of Christ because we found Christ to be a friend of sinners. And so we know, and we're going to bring others as Matthew did to him. Let us pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for this time that we are able to recognize that we are all sinners. We know that we often, we often deceive ourselves even in the holy habits that we develop, not by our own strength. It's as if you gave us a gift to be able to start to begin to obey you by, by the power of your spirit. And then, we, and then we puff ourselves up and we think of ourselves as better than others. And we forget to have a heart for those who are dying in this world. So, Father, remind us again of our sinfulness so that we can turn afresh, even in our unrighteous, even in our daily unrighteousness, to fresh to Christ. And to have a zeal for your gospel that brings other sinners into the kingdom. For you are much bigger than anything we could ever imagine or create or box you in. You are the Son of God from all eternity, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.